Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Well, let's pray as we shift gears into scripture this morning. Living God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for your mercy and grace toward us. Thank you for the ways you have made yourself known in our world through the history of our world in and through scripture, and especially Jesus. You have revealed yourself to be a God who seeks us, a God who comes near, to invite women and men into your life, to be reconciled to you through the grace of Christ and filled with your spirit and drawn into your story. So as we come to your word again today, would you awaken us? Holy Spirit, would you open us up to your word, your voice today where we need to hear you? And would you speak, Lord, in grace? Amen. All right, well, if you are just joining us, we are on our third Sunday of a summer study. Yes, summer study. Didn't feel like it yesterday morning, but we needed the rain, so amen to that. But third week of a summer study in the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, It's a collection of Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, that are understood to be something of a pilgrimage playlist, a series of psalms that Jewish pilgrims would revisit, mull over, share together, even recite together every time they made the long journey from wherever they lived to Jerusalem, three times a year for the big feasts. And as we noted two Sundays ago, even Jesus himself grew up with this practice, with his family going every year to Jerusalem for the feast. Luke 2 verse 41 says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And if you read that story, you know that at the end of that moment, Jesus' parents lose track of him. Why? Because there's so many people coming with them from their community to Jerusalem and back that they just assume he's in the crowd with the others, with the neighbors, with his school friends, and no, he's back at the temple. That's a sermon for another day. But it's a community practice, a rhythm built into the life of God's people. And so two Sundays ago, we began this study in the Psalms of Ascent in Psalm 120, the first psalm. But it's more than just the first psalm. It's also this brilliant starting point because it is a psalm of leaving. A psalm of coming to a place of realizing that there is a foolishness to seeking to make sense of life apart from the wisdom of God. That isn't to say that every idea in the world is all foolishness, but that there is foolishness in excluding God from the conversation of what it means to be human, of how we are to live, of what we are made for, how we are to be most fully alive. There is a foolishness in excluding God from the conversation. And let's be honest, that's the world we live in, always has been. That is, that is the way of the world. The world is 
always imploring, inviting us to keep our minds open to every idea and any perspective except God's perspective. And that's not just a critique of the world. That's the reality of our own hearts. Our own hearts do this. That's what makes them sinful. They turn away from God. They want to make sense of life without God. And at some point, that foolishness is actually revealed as dangerous. And that's what Psalm 120 is all about. This invitation to realize that we are in a place that we need to leave. That we need to turn to seek a life that is with God. And Psalm 120 also has this beautiful invitation in it because it names this good news that we don't have to stay in that place. We are invited uh, with God to venture out on a journey, to leave, to move out, to move on, to embark on a journey with God and with others who are seeking to follow God. So last Sunday, Aaron took us into Psalm 121, a psalm of trust, a psalm that is an invitation to trust God in the face of the threats that come along the way as we walk this long, winding pilgrimage walk. And today we come to the third psalm in our study, Psalm 122, which of all the psalms is most explicitly a pilgrimage psalm. It literally explicitly talks about this ancient pilgrimage. It begins with the words, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is a pilgrimage psalm. And we need this psalm. We need this psalm early on in this journey and again and again because it's the psalm that tells us where we're going, where this pilgrimage of faith is supposed to take us, where God is seeking to lead us together, where this long obedience in the same direction is heading. And we need this because it's not enough to simply know that we don't want to stay where we are, right? That happens sometimes. People are in a dire place or a disappointing place or a stuck place, and they come to a point of saying, okay, I need, I need to leave. Enough of this. I'm going. But then it's, the question is, well, where are you going, <laughs> right? And this psalm gives us a, a, a names for us, gives us a clarity of where it is that we need to go. We need to leave. That is the essential starting point. But it's not enough, is it? It's one thing to know we don't want to stay where we are. And we don't have to, praise God. But it's another thing to know where we need and want to end up. To know where we want and need to go. And that's what Psalm 122 is all about. It's our North Star. It's our destination. It's the destination that God wants for us, the aim that God invites us to. So let's start by just hearing the psalm together. Psalm 122, I'm reading from the NIV. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stands the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. 
For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, unless you zoned out, fell asleep already, uh, I think it's not that hard to deduce that the psalm is all about Jerusalem, right? Literally every verse in this psalm, from verse 1 to verse 9, includes at least one reference to Jerusalem, either explicitly or implicitly. Verse 1, the house of the Lord, that's the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 2, our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Verse 3, Jerusalem is built like a city closely compacted together. Verse 4, that Jerusalem is where the tribes go up. Verse 5, there stands the throne of David. Jerusalem is called the city of David. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then the rest of the psalm is explicitly a prayer for the peace of Jerusalem and all who dwell there love her. Until finally, verse nine, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity, i.e. the prosperity, the good of Jerusalem, which could lead us easily to conclude like six minutes, three minutes in, awesome. Okay, so Jerusalem's the goal. Great, that was easy. Great sermon. Wow, so life-altering, Scott. Amazing. Psalm 122 is my new favorite psalm. Time to get a pin cushion. Uh, probably not, right? That's good, because despite all the references to Jerusalem, I count 13, if you put together the explicit and the implicit, and all the hype about Jerusalem in this psalm, according to this psalm, the end or the goal of our pilgrimage, the goal of the psalmist's pilgrimage is not actually Jerusalem. It's not. It's not a place It's not a where, it's a what. So what is it? Well, we hear it in the literary center of the psalm. In the only verse that has a second movement or a side B, you might say. If we were thinking of songwriting or song structure, we might refer to this portion of one verse as the bridge or maybe the chorus, even though it never gets repeated but it is the center of this psalm. We find it in Psalm 122, verse 4b. I know your Bible doesn't have a B, but you'll find the B. If you look at the psalm, every verse in whatever translation you have, I suspect it's broken down into two lines, except verse four, which has four lines, two extra. And the second, these second two name for us the goal of the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. I'll read the whole verse for us, part A and B. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. And considering the fact that verse numbering is a 16th century addition to the ancient biblical text, it means the original psalm didn't have verse numbers, right? Or A's or B's. Uh, So we might also want to include verse four, verse five, into the center. So let me read it for us. Psalm 122, verse four and five. That, Jerusalem, is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. 
This, according to the psalmist, in accordance with the commands of God, that's what it says there, according to the statute given to Israel. This, according to the psalmist, in accordance with the commands of God, is the goal of not just the Psalms of Ascent, but of our life's pilgrimage, of your journey of faith and of mine, of following Jesus, that we would come to praise the name of the Lord, that we would come to worship God in unity with all of his people. And it matters that we know this. And I say this as someone who has appreciated and used the language of journey when I think about the Christian life for years. I'll never forget Lauren's older brother, much older brother, right? That's what you want me to say. Uh, Much older brother, Alden, uh, who was a friend and elder in my first church, asking me one day, Scott, you use the word journey a lot when you talk about the Christian life. Lauren, you might know why that matters to Alden. Why? Why all this talk of journey? Well, thank you for asking, Alden. It's because the Christian life, as far as I can see, as I live it and read the story of it, is not simply a decision or a set of beliefs or a set of right actions or devotions, though it encompasses all of those but it is a life of following Jesus, which means it's a journey, an ongoing journey, a journey of learning from Jesus and being led by Jesus and making decisions with Jesus. As Eugene Peterson wisely reminds us, the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. And that same direction is following Jesus. And sometimes he takes turns. (laughs) Which means along the way that we follow Jesus, we will find ourselves along different highways and byways and sometimes unexpected places, paths. A few days ago, I sat with a, a new pastor to our city and we shared some of our stories with each other. The journey that has led us to where we are, them pastoring the church that they're in, me here with you. And not surprisingly, as both of us told our stories, there was tons of surprises in the story. Looking back, as we have sought to follow Jesus, we have found ourselves in unexpected highways and byways, experiencing unexpected opportunities and detours and roadblocks and setbacks and dead ends and seasons of waiting and seasons of blessing and seasons of grace and seasons of provision and desperation and lots of pressing on just with the hand to Jesus but not being able to see anything else. I think it's really helpful to speak of and think of the Christian life as a journey, maybe especially because of how it emphasizes that we have not arrived. Have you arrived? You're on the journey, right? But Psalm 122 invites us to name embrace, and embrace the reality that this journey does have a destination. That this journey is, that God has in his mind a clear end to this journey, a goal, a destination to this pilgrim walk. Life with God, a life of faith, following Jesus is not an aimless wandering, a perpetual aimless wandering. Despite the popularity of Gandalf's wise words to Frodo, not all who wander are lost. The truth is, some are, right? That's a shirt that needs to be made. (laughs) 
There's a lot of shirts out there that say, not all who wander are lost, but some are. Sometimes we are. We lose track of where this is going. Part of the reason for this is that although we may have come to a settled conviction, a resolve even, that we can no longer remain where we were, that that's death to us, that we don't want to be there anymore, our eyes have yet to settle on where God is inviting and seeking to lead us. In a way, some of us have embraced and entered into Psalm 120. We have left by the grace of God, but we have yet to embrace Psalm 122 to grasp where it is that we must go, to which our feet must be pointed, where God wants to take us. But with that, it needs to be said that sometimes our journey of faith is hijacked, derailed, stalled, because we've actually just embraced the wrong goal. And we could explore that in lots of ways, but I want to say at the most basic level, what I mean by the wrong goal is embracing a goal that God has not set for us or invite us to pursue, no matter how much others cheer us on in the seeking of our goal. Which might sound very confining, a narrow way to think and live. But according to Jesus, it's the opposite, right? Jesus, who in the Sermon on the Mount says that there's a broad road, way that leads to destruction. There's a narrow path that leads to life. And he says, come, follow me. I'm the one that knows how to go to life. And the Psalms of Ascent take us there. In the Psalms of Ascent, we are invited to realize that God's vision and dream for us is not simply that we would, in the language of Psalm 120, trade in the tents of Kedar, uh, uh, the wisdom of the world without God, for tents of our own making, our own wisdom, but that we would trade in the tents of Kedar wisdom of a world without God, for a life of living, dwelling in the house of the Lord. That is what God is after for us. That we would come to know and trust and follow and worship the one true God whose ways and will and kingdom brings life. Listen, friends, despite all the references to Jerusalem in this psalm, According to Psalm 122, the goal of our journey, the goal of our pilgrimage isn't a place, it is a life. A life of knowing and trusting and worshiping and following the one true God whose ways and will and reign brings life, which is what the rest of Psalm 122 goes on to explore. And why the idea of worshiping, just the idea of worshiping the Lord Yahweh causes the psalmist to rejoice. The opening line, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Not just because I love a road trip. That's not what the psalmist is saying. Why? Why would this cause the psalmist to rejoice, to be glad, to leap for joy, the message puts it. Because according to the second half of this psalm, Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, is the king whose reign brings justice and peace to the world. That is why the psalmist rejoices. We hear it in verse five. It reads, there, Jerusalem, there stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Now I suspect none of our hearts light up at the word judgment, right? That is ominous sounding word. I see that, I see that. 
Uh, it feels like a setup for a real hellfire sermon. And it is, but not the one we'd expect. Because rather than being a threat of unfair treatment, the fire of Yahweh's judgment is good news. The fire of Yahweh's judgment means justice. Justice. Justice for those who have experienced injustice. Justice for a world that knows nothing but injustice. Justice for a world that is in need, desperate for people and communities and nations, families, women, children who need things to be set right, wrongs to be overturned, undone, and set right. Which makes Yahweh, the Lord, the God who brings justice, good news. The judgments of Yahweh, good news. This, according to the psalmist, is why it is a joy to worship the Lord, because he's the God of justice and mercy. Listen to how Eugene Peterson, a wise pastor and author who we're going to reference every Sunday in this series, defines judgment in his wonderful study on this psalm. He says, The biblical word judgment means the decisive word by which God straightens things out and puts things right. Judgment is not a word about things, describing them. It is a word that does things. Putting love in motion, applying mercy, nullifying wrong, ordering goodness. I appreciate that so much. The word judgment, we hear and we think, oh, he's just, you know, making a judgment, saying, ah, that sermon sucked. Whatever, that's a judgment. That's not the language that, that is being used here. This is action. This is a doing word. The judgment of God puts love in motion, applying mercy, nullifying wrong, ordering goodness. This is why Israel worshiped God and why God, Yahweh, commanded their worship in ours, not because Yahweh is insecure or selfish. Oh, come on, come on over here. I need more attention. No, because Yahweh is so good because shalom flows from his throne, right? And in the mercy of this God, he tells us, come and worship me because shalom flows from my throne. And not just for Israel and for all who worship Yahweh, but for all. Because when the life of the gospel, when the will and the ways, the character of Yahweh have its way in God's people, when our hearts and minds and lives are shaped and filled by worship of a just and shalom bringing God, we become people who seek justice and whose influence brings Peace, shalom. People who give dignity to others as Yahweh does. People, men who honor and elevate women as Yahweh does. Women who honor and build up men as Yahweh does. People who keep their promises and are trustworthy as Yahweh does. Citizens who care for the foreigner and the alien, as Yahweh does, and on and on. In truth, this is what it means, integral to what it means to worship the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord. And I say this because I think just like the word judgments, 
Worship is a word that evokes very specific images in our minds, mostly of singing together with an acoustic guitar in front of us. Probably, hopefully, passionately, unless that's not our wiring, and then really quietly, but from our hearts, right? And that is a part of worship. Biblically, we have so much reason to see this as part of worship, but it is not the whole from a Christian or biblical perspective. Worshiping God means not just loving God and telling God that, but it means loving with God. It means loving what God loves and loving what God loves like God loves it. Delighting in what God delights in. Caring about what God cares for. Seeking for what God is seeking. Even fighting for what God fights for. Right? Imagine a, a friend saying to their friend, I love you, I love you, you're my everything, and then everything they do is a defiance against. A husband writing odes of affection to his wife. I'm sorry, Janet, I write songs, but I, I still have failed you in never writing a, a love song for you. But imagine a troubadour of a husband who can write the most compelling song of affection to his wife, but then everything he does does not express love. So we read scripture, this language of worship is an invitation to participate in the character of God, not just to show up once a week or three times a year at a feast and say, oh, you're so great. Worshiping God means not just loving God and telling him that, it means loving what God loves. Loving what God loves like God loves it. Caring for what God cares for. Fighting for what God fights for. Which makes me think of the Exodus where Yahweh, the Lord, rescues his people from slavery, the oppressive idolatry of Egypt. And what stands out to me in this, in this description of the Exodus is how God describes the goal of their rescue. Again and again, God describes the goal of rescuing Israel as worship for the purpose of worship. Three times, at least three times, God instructs Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. And when God brings them out, what does God do? What does God give them? Not a bunch of acoustic guitars and songs, but commands, the Ten Commandments and far more each a revelation of God's character and God's ways, each an invitation to become marked by and participate in God's character and God's ways, that they would be for me, God says, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, Exodus 19, that they would come to glorify the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord by living in ways that reflect God's name and character, that their everyday lives as the people of God in community would worship the Lord for the glory of God and the shalom, the peace, the good of all, including the pagan nations around them. Which helps make sense of the final portion of this psalm, verse six to nine, where the psalmist invites and exhorts us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why? Because this is God's heart for his people. They would know and experience and extend God's peace, God's shalom to all. 
And I'm wondering if your mind is running to another part of scripture here. Mine is. Sometimes one verse in the Bible almost feels like it has a hypertext in it. You know, you're reading an article online. I'm reading The Guardian at night about the heat wave in the UK and how during the... Um, the changing, no, it wasn't the change, it was a, it was a gathering in the Highlands and the uh, or celebration of the Duke. Anyways, all during the standing of the guards, three of them collapsed in the heat wave. And in the article, there's hyperlinks to other articles, right? Where you can see more photos that are, you know, you, but anyways, sometimes when you're reading scripture, there's a hypertext. Uh, not like that, because our paper Bibles don't have it, but maybe if you're online. But this is a passage to me that has a hypertext that sends me running to Jeremiah 29. Some of us know Jeremiah 29, but I'm not talking about Jeremiah 29, 11, for the, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in a future, that, that part. But Jeremiah 29, verse seven, where the Lord, Yahweh, instructs his people exiled to Babylon from their beloved Jerusalem to pray and seek for the peace and prosperity not of Jerusalem, but of Babylon, the pagan city, their oppressors, the people who have just taken them from their land and taken them captive. And to me, there's, this, there's a beauty in this contrast because it highlights us to us that the God revealed in the story of Israel, the God revealed to us in the pages of Scripture, the God revealed to us above all in the person of Jesus is not a God who plays favorites, a God who loves Jerusalem, but not, Jeru not Babylon, who chooses Israel to the exclusion of all others. No, the Lord calls and chooses Israel and Jerusalem for the sake of all. Genesis 12, the call of Abraham, come follow me. Come go with me, leave the land of your fathers and go with me and I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God calls and chooses one nation for the sake of all, for the sake of the nations, for the sake of the world, that through his people, God would bring his justice and peace to all. All right, landing the plane. Come with me back to one verse we haven't talked about. Verse two. In truth, it's, there's something odd about this verse. I didn't know what to do with it do with it for a while. It, it somewhat confounded me. It reads, our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Let me read one and two together. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Notice the tense there. I highlighted it for you. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. It's a surprising declaration, especially since this is not the last psalm in the Psalms of Ascent, Curtis. We're not there yet, right? That's, you're gonna take that psalm. This is not the last psalm in the Psalms of Ascent. The, psalm, the psalmist, the pilgrim, is not yet in Jerusalem. You read the rest of this psalm, and everywhere in this psalm, it is consistent that Jerusalem is not a here, but a there. We're going up there. That is where. It's not the place where the psalmist is or where you and I are, but it's the place to which we are going. Now, that could be a translation issue, but I don't think it is. The ESV 
has a little bit different, though it's a really uncommon translation from all that I can see. ESV says, our feet have been standing in your gates of Jerusalem, but even this, which is a less common translation, isn't definitively just a past memory, but could be something that carries through the present. It's not we once did, but have been. The most common translation is are, are standing. And the only way I can make sense of this is to hear in the psalmist some sort of confession, acknowledgement, declaration, even maybe an invitation to other pilgrims like us that the worship has already begun. The worship of Yahweh does not wait for the end of the journey. It begins now because God is already good and glorious and just, the source of shalom for the world, for us and for all. The worship has already begun. We are on this dusty road right here, right now on this dusty trail a long ways off from the place of complete shalom flourishing. The goal of our pilgrimage, our journey with God, our faith isn't arriving in that place, Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and earth, but it is entering into a life, a life of worship. That is the goal of our pilgrimage, a life of worship, a life of seeking and following and celebrating God's reign, not others, not our own. In Jerusalem, yes, in eternity, yes, but also right here, right now. The worship has already begun and we are invited into it. Where we are on this dusty highway, calling others to join us or maybe in the midst of the throng, wherever we are, as we journey together in pursuit of a God of justice and peace, glory and joy, as we walk in gratitude for God's justice and peace, glory and grace. So where are you going? Where is your pilgrimage seeking? Where do you, where are you seeking to go? Is your life, are your toes pointed towards? Are your prayer, your your life trajectory aiming towards the glory of God through whatever it is that God has given you or something else? Are you aiming towards just hopefully a really wicked retirement or at least a good Saturday? Thankfully, Jesus gets us. (laughs) He knows that Sometimes we lose track of the goal and sometimes we don't know how to get there. And I love that the fundamental call of Jesus then, knowing this, isn't, hey, come on, get going. Get out there. Go have an adventure. But it is. Come. Follow me. I know the way. I am the way. Let's pray. Thank you again for your mercy and grace to us that you take a psalm, a text, um, a prayer from the prayer book of Israel written centuries ago. And by your spirit and your grace, you have 
kept it through all the ages. And by your spirit, once again, you open something of yourself to us through your word. You take uh, nine verses written in Hebrew to an ancient people in a world that probably feels so different to ours and you name realities that we are living in. You name our lostness. You name our aimlessness. You name our commitment to or envisioning of the wrong goal and you invite us in grace towards something better which is you, you God, your kingdom, your life, your reign. As it says in uh, Colossians, that the gospel in the gospel, um, you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of the Son you love. We thank you for this grace, Lord, that that is what the gospel does, and you invite us to set our hearts, our minds, and lives on as we follow you. Lord, we bow to you for each other right here where for some of us, the idea of the judgments of God sounds really undesirable because you somehow don't seem desirable to us. And we ask God by your spirit through the work of the gospel that you would break off the lies that hold us captive, that keep us from turning to you. Lord, where we may feel that you are not a God or whose judgments are not worth celebrating and entrusting ourselves to you, that it is not good news. Oh God, by your spirit, come and speak your truth over the lies and turn our hearts toward you. Open our hearts to your glory, your goodness, your mercy in your justice. That on this dusty path, we would become worshipers, Lord. Praise your name.